0: Welcome to the Central Community Church podcast. We exist to be authentic followers of Jesus, leading others to follow him by loving God, loving people, and serving our world.
1: The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, We shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. As the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children, a mixed multitude also went up with them. And very much livestock, both flocks and herds, and, and they baked the unleavened cakes of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened, because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared, prepared any provisions for themselves. This, the time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out of the land of Egypt. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt, so this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is the statute of the Passover, no foreigner shall eat of it, but every slave that is bought for money may eat of it after you have circumcised him. No foreigner or hired servant may eat of it, it shall be eaten in one house, you, sh- you shall not take any flesh outside of the house, and you shall not break any of its bones." All the congregation of Egypt shall keep it. If a stranger shall sojourn you, with you, and would keep the Passover with the, of the Lord, then let all the males be circumcised. Then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. There shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns among you. All the people of Israel did just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt and by their hosts. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all of the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both man and woman, is of mine. Then Moses said to the people, Remember this day of which you came out of Egypt. Out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand the Lord brought you from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Today, in the month of Abib, you are going out. And when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hevites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days, no leavened bread shall be seen with you, and no leaven shall be seen in you in all that is your territory. You shall tell your son on that day, It is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And it shall be to you as a sign on your hand, and as a memorial between your eyes, that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand the Lord brought you out of Egypt, you shall therefore keep this statute and its appointed time from year to year. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers, and shall give it to you, you shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb, all the firstborn of your animals, and that... Our males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with the lamb, or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of a man among your sons you shall redeem. And when in time it comes to your son, uh, and he asks you, "What does this mean?" You shall say to him, "By a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn born of man and the firstborn of animals." Therefore, I shall sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first open the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I shall redeem it shall be as a mark on your hand or on the front lids between your eyes, for by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt.
0: Good morning, church. Good to see you this morning. My name is John and I have the privilege uh, to be part of the pastoral team and uh, excited this morning to continue our sermon series on the first few chapters of the book of Exodus. And if you haven't been around much this summer, I want to bring you up to speed of where we're been and where we're going to be going in our series uh, for the rest of it. Um, we've been exploring the narrative of the book of Exodus, which is a story of how God hears the cries of his people who have become slaves in a foreign nation, and how God uses a man named Moses to free the people from the grip of slavery and lead them to the promised land. The whole point of their freedom was so that they could worship God freely. And all along the way, we have learned week after week incredible life-changing truths about who God is and what he's done We started off the series talking about God's people, the Israelites who have become afflicted with the burden of bondage to a cruel taskmaster. And what we discovered is that God provides a Savior to rescue them from slavery, and likewise, He has done the same for you and for I. We looked at the effects of sin that that affects each one of us, and we learned how no one is immune, but in the midst of the darkness of the deepest sins of ours, God's grace meets us there. We talked about the suffering of the Israelites at the hand of Egypt, and we learned that God has a purpose and a place in our suffering, and that purpose is his praise. We explored the plagues, which seem unnecessary and heavy-hearted, but in them, God deals a crushing blow to the false gods of Egypt, making it very clear that God is the one true God. And last week, we looked at how God was preparing the way of salvation for the Israelites and how they had a choice to either trust God and follow his plan of salvation or face the same judgment that was given to the Egyptians through the 10th plague. We heard how Jesus prepares a way for us to have freedom, and we have that choice. And so the question that we were left with last week, as Pastor Gary shared, is what are you going to do to remember? And this is where we're going to pick up our series this morning. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm a guy who struggles remembering uh, the most important of things. So much so that when my wife Heather and I got married in 2005, uh, one night she stole my wedding ring and had it engraved with our wedding date on the inside of the band because I kept telling people the wrong date. Okay? And I would show you my ring, but I honestly don't know where I put it. All right? I am forgetful. And you're thinking, man, John, you're a terrible person. I am. All right? I am horrible. I can't remember things like birthdays. I don't remember things like like where, where I'm supposed to be going or what I'm supposed to be doing sometimes. You see, one of the struggles that I have and one of the struggles that the Israelites have and the one of the struggles that we as man have is that we are forgetful, okay? We are forgetful people who have the tendency to forget the most important of things, And as God frees the nation of Israel from their slavery, and as he brings them into uh, freedom, God's desire for them was that they would always, always remember him and in response worship him as their Lord and their Savior. And so as we move into our message this morning, the best thing that I think we can do is just spend a moment in prayer. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you this morning thankful for the freedom that we have in your Son, Jesus, for the forgiveness of sin and the gift of your mercy. And Lord, I admit that sometimes I am so forgetful to remember you in my life. And I forget all of the things that you've done for me. And this morning, I I confess, Lord, my need for you and the desire that I have to remember you and to make your name made known in this place this morning. Not for my glory, but for yours, O Lord. And for my friends and my family that sit in this place this morning, I pray that you would speak into their lives, into their hearts, and into their minds, and that you would help them to remember that they are saved by you, for you, and for your glory. And that together we would live in a constant state of remembrance, remembering remembering who you are and what you've done on the cross for us, Lord. We pray this in your great and awesome name. And everyone said, amen. Well, as we start our passage off this morning, we jump into a very tense moment where we read these urgent words found in in, in chapters uh, 12, verse 33. It says this, the Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste. Now if you haven't been following the series, uh, something significant happened last week that, that really was the game changer. And it was this thing called the Passover. And what we know leading up to this point is that God has sent Moses nine separate times to approach Pharaoh with the command to release the people of Israel from the slavery and oppression of this nation. But along the way, We've run into a reoccurring issue, and it is the hardness of Pharaoh's heart. A hardened heart is a heart that rejected God as the one true God. A hard heart is a heart that doesn't care for the authority of his word. So Pharaoh's goal is to see the weight of slavery crush God's people. But because of God's grace and his mercy, he continues to give opportunities for Pharaoh to turn from his sin, to release God's people. And what he does is he, he tells Pharaoh that this is what is going to happen, right? If you don't listen to me, there is going to be consequences. And ultimately, if you disobey me and you disregard my word altogether, then something extreme is going to happen. And I'm going to, I'm going to let you have that choice. You've been warned and you've been told and even though Pharaoh has, has been shown this grace and, the, and mercy, his response is filled with anger and frustration and rejection of, of the truth, which only makes his heart harder. And an easy question for us to ask this morning is in, in light of the Passover, why didn't God just strike down Pharaoh? And as we read in Exodus 9, 13 to 16, we read that God has used plagues to strike down Pharaoh and his people. And where God could have crushed him and killed him, God ultimately raises him up to show his power so that God's name would be proclaimed in all of the earth. Around the ninth plague, Pharaoh is fed up. Moses keeps coming to Pharaoh with the same request, right? Let God's people go. And finally, uh, Pharaoh has this moment where it's a breaking point, and in that moment reveals that his heart is never going to change. There comes a point in Exodus 10:28 where Pharaoh says, "I don't care. His heart is so hard and he is done with Moses." And his words are this, "Get away from me and take care never to see my face again for on the day you see my face you're you're going to die." This was a direct attack on the power and the authority of God himself. And so God, with the ultimate goal of his name being made known, and his desire to free his people, instructs Moses to tell the Israelites, prepare. Your freedom is coming, and there is a cost for it. Your salvation will come from the blood of the Lamb. The nation of Israel was told to prepare by taking a perfect spotless lamb, sacrificing it, and then taking some of the blood and smearing it on the two doorposts of the house. And God's promise to his people is, when my judgment comes over this land, and I see the the, the mark on the doors, I will pass over you. The blood will serve as a sign on the houses where you live. No disaster will touch you when I strike the land of Egypt. God's promise is he's going to save his people. What we know and what we read is that the people of God leave in such a hurry that they have no time to pack, they have no time to prepare, they have no time to get ready. And so they grabbed what they could and they fled. This is the moment we've all been waiting for. The the Israelites are set free. And this morning, we're going to explore the call that they have to always Remember. And likewise, it is a call for us as the people of God to always remember. Remember the Passover. Remember our salvation. Remember our freedom. So the first thing I want us to do this morning is I want us to remember who God is, for he is God and God alone. The reason why God instructs the nation of Israel to celebrate the Passover is And the Feast of the Unleavened Bread is because they want them to always remember him. It is by God's strong hand that they have experienced freedom. And he wants to make sure that they never forget who it was who truly brought them out of the land of Egypt. It wasn't Moses or Pharaoh. It wasn't their ability, their skill, or their work. It was because of God's power. And that's why this morning, I want us to spend a moment talking about why we need to remember who God is. Because without a clear understanding of who he is, we can observe these traditions, but they will have no impact on us because they are just traditions. Without God at the center of our remembrance, there is nothing worth remembering. And this morning, I want us to look at who God is because, in doing so, it gives us purpose and perseverance to be faithful as we remember Him. And so, we're going to look at just a few of the characteristics that we see of God in this story. First, I want us to look at, at who God is He is a covenant keeping God, God longs to be in relationship with His people. And we see this from the very beginning of of creation that God's desire is for man to walk with him. That that God would have a relationship with us. And in the beginning of the book of Exodus, we're told that, that God had seen the afflictions of his people and had heard their cry. And the reason why God even cares in the first place is because of his promise and his covenant that he made with Abraham, who is the father of the nation of Israel. A covenant is an unchangeable, divinely imposed legal agreement between God and man that stipulates the conditions of their relationship. It's the rules. It's how God works. And at the heart of of God's covenant is God's promise for relationship. This is what he says in Genesis 17. I will be your God and you will be my people. Okay, you are going to be my people. You are going to worship me. You are going to be, you're going to be in my presence. And so when God hears the cries and he sees the oppression of his people, God's automatic response is not just to leave us, but it's to step in and intervene. He wants his people to know that he is their God and as God, he hears them and longs to rescue them the whole purpose of God stepping in to rescue his people was that they would know that he is the Lord, their God. Right? And throughout the whole story of the Exodus, God is faithfully demonstrating time and time and time again that he is a God of promise, that he will protect and he will deliver because he promised that for us. He promises to bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you, right? He promises to keep his covenant with you. That's the most important thing that we need to remember, who God is. He's a covenant-keeping God. And we can be rest assured of the promises that he, he gives us. The second thing we discover about who God is in the story of the Exodus is that God has control and dominion over all things. And in response to the oppression of his people, God sends Moses to declare to Pharaoh that the Israelites are to be free. And when Pharaoh is disobedient to release God's people, God sends sends plagues upon the land of Egypt. And the reason why he sends plagues was to firstly judge the Egyptians for failing to acknowledge him and failing to obey his command. But secondly, it was to also display his power over all created things. Egypt was known for for their worship of gods, and everything had a God attached to it. And by sending plagues, the one true God, the great I Am, is making a clear statement to the Egyptians and to the Israelites that he is God and God alone. That no one, regardless of who they are, should worship the creation. No one should worship false idols. No one should worship false gods. But rather to worship him as the creator and the sustainer of all things. And the reason why God can turn water into blood and send hail and storms was because, as Colossians 3.16, it says this, for in him all things were created. All things were created through him and for him. And so Pharaoh fights this truth. When God sends plagues, Pharaoh tries getting his magicians to copy God. But there comes a point when even his, his magicians, right, whose, whose job was to discredit God, have to stand back and say, there's something different here, right? This is the finger of God. This is not, this is not just trickery. This is, this is God. But Pharaoh's heart is hardened. And so God shows his power and his might so that all would know that he is God. And as God, he has control over things, even like life and death. Thirdly, what we learn about God is that he is a just and merciful God. And as the nation of Israel is commanded to celebrate the Passover, they're reminded that God doesn't idly sit by as people live in sin and disobedience, but will cast judgment and will show mercy where he sees fit. As Pharaoh continues to ignore God, God sends the tenth and the final plague as a form of judgment upon Pharaoh and his people for their disobedience. And the consequences were real. They couldn't be taken away. It wasn't wasn't just temporary. It was lasting. It was the death of the firstborn. And although this might seem extreme and unjust, we have to remember that this didn't happen by surprise. It didn't happen unexpectedly, right? The Passover is probably one of the hardest things for us to wrap our minds around. Is God unjust? No, God is merciful, and and, and a part of his mercy is showing judgment. Pharaoh had been warned of his consequences time after time after time after time. And because of disobedience, because of hard-heartedness, And as a result of his unwillingness to obey God, God sends judgment. And as the Israelites are instructed to remember, God wants to ensure that they understand his position as a righteous judge. James 4 verse 12 says that there is one lawgiver and there is one judge, one who is able to destroy or save. And so as we reflect on these truths of who God is, we have to remember that God is just and merciful, that he is the sustainer of all things, that he has power and dominion, and that he is God and God alone. And as we reflect on these truths of who God is, I realize that for some of us in this room, right, we've grown up with this story, And sometimes it's easy just to kind of nod our heads in agreement and and think, you know what, I've heard this all before, and you know, I was, you know, I was like two years old when I became a follower of Jesus, and you know, my parents told me this, and I went to Sunday school my whole life, and and I, I got this. Sometimes we think that there's nothing left to learn. But the question that we have to ask ourselves as we look at the qualities of God is do we believe that God is who he says he is? And if so, what are you going to do with that? If God is a covenant keeping God, what does that mean for your life? Is God drawing you to himself? If you believe that God has power and dominion over all things, how is God having power and dominion over your life and your sin? Are you letting him have authority in your life? If God is a judge, do we remember what we deserve? And if God is merciful, what has God given us instead? What what has God saved you from? What would, your, what would your life look like if you had not been saved from the slavery of sin? You know what, folks? We need to continue to, to hang on to the truths of who God is. Because without God at the center of our remembrance, there is nothing worth remembering. And as we look at Jesus' life and his death or, uh, resurrection, it should only act as a confirmation of the amazing realities of who God is and what he has done for you. Have you personally today experienced the covenant promise and deliverance from sin in your own life? If not, let's talk. It requires a response from us. Secondly, we need to remember the gift of your salvation. You see, after 430 years in a foreign land, we get to the point where God has stepped in and he rescues his people from the bondage of their taskmaster. But right before he frees them, God does something that's really important. He tells the nation of Israel to watch and remember. Look at verse 42. And one of the ways that that God helps his people remember is by instructing them to celebrate. Celebrate. And in particular, he wants them to celebrate the, the feast of the, the Passover and the feast of the unleavened bread. God wants his people to always remember how they got there. He wants them to remember their suffering and their sin and how it was only because of God's mercy that he stepped in. Right? At the right time, while we were, we were sinners, Christ died for us. He saved them from bondage and he saves us from bondage. And what we know about the Passover And the Feast of the Unleavened Bread is they are highly symbolic. The reason why is because unless it was in front of them, where they could engage with it and continue to practice it, they would forget what God has done. So God, knowing the heart of man, knowing that we're forgetful, sets into place a plan to ensure that his people remember his act of of deliverance and salvation. He begins his instruction actually in Exodus 12 verse 2 by saying this, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. And what God is doing here is he's actually changing their calendar. And he's saying the start of every single year, you're going to come back to this this reality of what I've done for you. There's going to be this set time where you're going to remember it is in your calendars and this is what you're going to start your year off with. And how you're going to remember is you're always going to go back to what I've done. You're going to go, and you're going to go get a lamb. And this lamb is going to be without blemish. There's going to be no corruption to it. It's going to be pure and spotless. And what you're going to do on the 10th night, you're going to kill that lamb. And you're going you're to take the blood, and you're going to put it on your door. And then what you're going to do, you're going to take the lamb, and you're going to roast it. Okay, And this is going to be the reminder that the lamb was sacrificed for you so that God's judgment would pass over you. This is what is going to atone you and save you from God's righteous judgment. What you're going to do is you're going to celebrate. And you're going to remember with your family, and your response will lead you to worship. Some of you are probably thinking, man, John, hurry up. I'm hungry. Right? Man, how great is it that God says, Eat. Right? Remember. Celebrate. Here's a really practical way in which you can do that. We are instructed to remember the gift of salvation that came through the blood of the Lamb. Jesus became our atonement where he died in the place of sinners. Where you deserve death, God passed over you and saved you. He gave you life. Without Christ, we would have no hope of life. You see, your salvation is worth remembering. What God has done in your life is worth celebrating. What Jesus did on the cross should lead us to worship. The other way that God instructs his people to remember him is to rest. You see, in Egypt, there was no such thing as a nine to five, five day working week where everyone's working for the weekend. Okay? Under the rule of Pharaoh, the people were forced to labor day after day after day after day after day. After day. And after day. And I want you to imagine for a moment if your boss made you work long hours without pay, without vacation, without benefits, your response would be I quit. Right? That is unjust. We would call our labor unions. We would stage a protest, and we would walk out and picket. Okay? We would protest. But when you are a slave, you can't protest. When you are a slave, you get beat. You face death. And even worse, you're forced to work harder. And that's what Pharaoh's response to Moses is in Exodus 5. When Moses says, let my people go, this is what Pharaoh does. He went to the taskmasters and the people and their foremen. And he said this, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and do more work by gathering the straw themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to God. This is my response. Let heavier work be laid on the men, for for they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. As God rescues and redeems, his response is, I want you to rest. I want you to sabbath. I want you to delight in me. I want you to cherish me. I want you to come back to me and do it often. Eugene Peterson said this about the Sabbath. Sabbath is not primarily about us or how it benefits us. It is about God and how God forms us. It is not in the first place about what we do or don't do. It is about God completing and resting and blessing and sanctifying. These are all things that we don't know much about, but it does mean stopping and being quiet long enough to see open mouth with wonder, resurrection wonder. We cultivate the fear of the Lord. Our souls are formed by what we cannot work up and take charge of. We respond and we enter into what the resurrection of Jesus is continues to do. And that's why God says, rest. How good it is, is it that God says, have a metaslope. Relax. Right? Take Sabbath. And one of the lessons that I've learned this week as my computer shut down and I lost part of my sermon, as I thought about my insecurity of being a preacher, as I just thought of me as a sinner, I, I, I had to open up God's word and read Matthew 11:28 and 30, just, just to be reminded, where it says, "This come to me all who labor and are heavy-laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is is what? It's what? It's light. Man, what I know about myself is I can't do this by myself, because the burden of my sin, the burden of my life, is crushing. And so I have to come back to this reality of who I am, that I am in need of a savior, and you likewise are also do the same. You are in need of a savior. And your Savior isn't going to oppress you. Your Savior isn't going to crush you. Your Savior is going to make your yoke easy, and the burden is going to be light. Praise God. God wants you to remember him and remember how incredible his salvation is. Because you know what? We can't do this by ourselves. We can't live in sin and, and think that we can walk through this life And 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 make it to the end. It is crushing. The last thing I want us to look at is that we need to remember that our freedom is meant for his glory. Throughout our text, we have sought to remember two things. The first, who is God? And the secondly is what has God done? And the reason why we focus on these two things instead of just remembering a a feast is because the feast and the festival were were meant to bring the glory of God to generations of of Israelites gathered together to remember. And as we've read through this story, I hope that it's been quite clear, the story has always been and will always be about God and God alone for his glory. For us, this is a constant reminder that our freedom is not about us. Us gathering together is not about us. Us worshiping together is not about us. But it is about the one who deserves all glory and honor. Our text reminds us that it was by God's strong hand that the people were set free. It was the Lord had given the people favor in 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 the sight of the Egyptians. When the Lord brings you to, it's not about us. Not to us, O Lord, but to your name be the glory. You see, your freedom was a result of God's grace as he revealed himself to his people and to the Egyptians. And this morning, he reveals himself to us through Jesus. And so the question that we ask ourselves is, is how do we make the glory of God known in light of our freedom? I believe that if we look at our text, we will see some very practical examples The first is this, is that we have to forsake sin. God instructs the the Israelites to go and eat unleavened bread. And this was significant for two reasons. The first is that this was a physical reminder of the urgency that they had when they left Egypt. But secondly, it was a reminder to forsake sin and to leave it behind. The Israelites didn't uh, have time to put the leaven in their dough because they were free. Their freedom was more important than having some fluffy risen bread. Their freedom meant everything, and they took it when the opportunity was there. They they, they forsook everything. The departure of the Israelites from slavery in Egypt is symbolic of you and I leaving, leaving the slavery of a sinful life behind. To bring glory to God means we forsake sin as we remember our freedom. We don't want it anymore. Right? We've been set free. Secondly, we're told to be marked by something. The symbol of God's covenant with his people was this thing called circumcision. Genesis 17. And the only way that you could participate in the Passover uh, feast is if you had been marked with the sign of the covenant. It served as a reminder of God's permanent relationship with man, and God's command for the Israelites was to obey God's laws. So Jesus teaches us that we need not a circumcision of the flesh, but rather of the heart. God doesn't want us to just follow physical rules and traditions, but rather that our hearts would reflect the inner change that's occurred as we've submitted our lives to the authority of God, realizing our need for a Savior and being dependent on Him. And one of the ways that we do that is by being marked by the waters of baptism. Baptism reflects the truth of who we are, that we are dead to sin and made alive in Christ as our sins have been washed away. And when we're marked by Christ, we act different because we are different. And although baptism is only one of the ways in which we can be marked, we, we have to realize that it doesn't end there, but results in a life of learning God's Word and being obedient and living faith out. You see, if you're not living the reality that you're set free, how can you bring glory to God? And if you've been set free and you keep becoming enslaved to your sin, how can you bring glory to God? If you can't remember who God is and what he's done, how do you bring glory to God? You see, being set free results in a life of servitude as we declare the glory of God. Every breath that you take is an opportunity to live out your freedom and to tell the world what Jesus has done. 1 Peter 4 verse 11 tells us that whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. And whoever serves it's to do so as if they're serving by the strength which God supplies. I want you to remember that you are bought with a price, and therefore we glorify God with our bodies. And as I thought about you as a church over the past week, I couldn't help but think, man, this is a family of people who really love Jesus and want his name to be made known. You know, I've been here for six years, and over over the last six years, I have heard stories of sacrificial living as you care for people. I've seen missionaries be commissioned from this place to make God's name known across the world. They've left their family, and and they've left their jobs, and they've left their homes to to, to go and make God's name known in, in places like Thailand and Burundi. We have students at this place who desire to serve. And so for some of our students this year, they, 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 they spent some time at summer camp or helping out at kids camp or some of our students are heading to Camp Bob next week, right? Because they want Jesus to be made known and kids to come to Christ. We recently had a family move away from Central, move to the boony town of Stewart, okay? And the first thing that they did was they phoned the pastor up, had a had a meeting and a meal with him, and said, How do we help make God's name known in this place? How do we help with kids' ministry? Right? Because we want Jesus to be made known in Stewart. Right? We've celebrated the lives of amazing godly men and women who have passed on. And as hard as that is for us, it is amazing because we gotta hear how faithful they were to the calling of God to make him known. Even in their death, Jesus' name was lifted high. So as we finish our time together this morning, we have to ask ourselves the question, how do we remember? You know, for me, I said it at the very beginning, I'm really forgetful. Okay? I am so forgetful. I lose my—I've got three pairs of glasses that I just found at my house. All right. Don't know where they went, but I found them eventually. I lose my keys all the time. I lose my wall. I lose the things that are important, okay? And for me, I have had to come to this place where I know that I'm not going to remember on my own. And so I have to be marked by something. And and I'm I'm going to talk about this, all right? I have a tattoo, right? And some of you be like, whoa, John, don't say that we can get tattoos. I'm not saying that. But for me, I had to get a tattoo because I know my heart. I know how it wanders. I know my sin. I know that I'll go to that place before before God. And so I have a tattoo on my arm that says, Jesus, the anchor of my soul, because I know that in the deepest of storms and in the biggest waves that I will be crushed, that I won't be able to do this. And so for me, I have had to mark myself to remember the covenant that I made with God, the promise that I made. I have earrings because in Exodus 21, I'm not, I'm not ha- having tattoos and earrings because I'm a hipster. I'm so far from a hipster, okay? But I have earrings because in, in Exodus 21, there was a point in my life where I walked away from my faith where I said, you know what? Screw you, God, right? And I experienced brokenness and heartache, and I realized that I needed a Savior. And in Exodus 21, it talks about how a slave, if they were to be set, they were to be set free after a certain time of serving, But if a slave loves his master, they'll go to the front of the house and they'll pierce the ears on the the door. And for me, that's my reminder every day of the covenant that I've made with God saying, Listen, I'm going to be a follower of you and I will serve you and do whatever you want. I will go wherever you call me because you have been faithful to me. And so we have to ask the question how do we celebrate? I think the first thing is this, and we saw this already, we talked about this, is celebrate together. One of the important aspects of Jewish faith is the importance of sharing a meal. And just as the Israelites celebrated together, we were never intended to celebrate alone. But rather that we would gather as one family together and we would share a meal. In Luke 22, verse 15, we read that Jesus eagerly desired to eat the Passover feast with his disciples and likewise we're eager as his disciples to celebrate the passover with him and that's why it's central once a month we celebrate communion we talked about this last week okay where the where we pass the cup and the bread and it symbolizes the body that or the blood that was poured out for us and the body that was broken for us and our command is, is that whenever we gather we are to remember And that's why we celebrate together. That's why we celebrate communion. That's why we worship together. That's why we we learn together because we want to celebrate and remember. The second way that we remember is by being set apart. Our text says that we're supposed to consecrate yourself. Okay? The firstborn is supposed to be consecrated, which means to dedicate yourself to something by separating yourself from everything else. For us, that requires leaving our sin behind, just as the Israelites left the leaven behind. Instead of leaving it in Egypt, we actually take the old life with its old ways and we bring it to the foot of the cross. And to do so is no easy task, as it requires something for us. The first is a humble heart that submits to the authority of God and to the, the, the word in our lives. It means that we are in a continual state of repentance, recognizing that our sin has effects. That we're dead to, 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 dead in trespasses and sins, but we are made alive together with Christ by grace. We've been saved, Amen. We remember also by sharing the story. One of the ways we remember is by telling the next generation. In Exodus 13:14, we read, And when the time to come, your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. And one of the greatest privileges and responsibilities that I have in my life is not that I'm a pastor. I consider that a very high calling and a privilege. Even thinking that God could use me is mind-blowing. I want to be faithful to that. But there is something that trumps that. And it is the privilege that I have of being called a dad and having four amazing kids who are growing to love Jesus. Last week, I I, I pulled Nick aside. Nick's six. Okay, got that. I remember it. First service, I didn't. All right? And I said, Nick, tell me about God. He goes, Dad, I don't know everything, but what I know is Jesus loves me. Right? Right? Man, we have this responsibility to train up our kids in the way that they should go. And that's a high calling with a lot at stake. As as a youth pastor, uh, studies come my way from time to time that talk about long-lasting faith. And there's three things in particular that that kids need and students need to have a long-lasting faith. Students with faith that lasts are raised in a faith culture that that is about relationship over rule. As parents, we have to be careful that faith isn't just a list of do's and don'ts, but rather that faith is about one thing. It's about a relationship with Jesus that is based on God's grace. Faith development doesn't come from catching your kids, doing something wrong and saying to them, is this what you want to be doing when Jesus comes back? Okay, but it's helping them understand that God has transformed their lives as they've been sanctified by Jesus. Secondly, students who have a lasting faith have a lasting faith because they're part of a multi-generational mentoring church who long to invest into their lives. And here it is, folks. It's not just the parents' job. It's ours as a church as well. And as I look at Central, I've been a part of this church for a long time. Grew up here in high school And I honestly, like I say this, and I'm honest about this, I don't think we realize the gift that this place is with the amount of kids that we have. Because as we look around on a Sunday, this place is busy, okay? And I don't know any other church that has the ratio of kids to adults like what our church does. And every week, kids come into this place to learn about Jesus. And our job is to teach and to train up kids so that they have a lasting faith. And that's why Chris and his team need your help in kids' ministry. It's not a guilt thing, it's a we long to see this generation raised up to love Jesus thing. Right? And what we know in the, in the Bible it says this the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Chris needs your help. Because what's at stake is generations to come of kids who love Jesus. I, on the other hand, work with a demographic of students where, where statistically 80% of them walk away from faith. That, the, um, walk away from faith, and that is heartbreaking for me. But what, you, what we have to understand is that the role of a youth leader is, is so important for students and their faith development. It is one of the most impactful and meaning, meaningful relationships that a student will have during their adolescent years. And one of the things that will determine whether or not they continue in faith. It's also one of the factors of, of students continuing in the faith journey. And as I look at our students, I'm in awe of who God's led to this place. We have students who are, who are passionate about Jesus. right? We have students who are passionate about being in leadership. We have students who are passionate about worship. And, and, and here's the truth. I can't do it by myself. I need your guys' help. Our students live in a world of heartbreak and disappointment and insecurities, and it's our responsibility as the church to to disciple the youth who come our way. And so if you're interested in being a youth leader, this is my plug, all right? I need your help. Come talk to me. Let's talk about you serving in youth ministry because we have students who need a, a, a mentor in their life. Lastly, right, students who have a lasting faith have a lasting faith because they have parents who are willing to walk with them throughout the faith journey, through the hard times and the goods. And one of the, the ways the parents walk with them is by modeling an authentic faith themselves. So, as parents, do your kids see your reliance and your dependence on, on God? Do they see you living out your faith on a day to day basis as you make God's name great? Do you model uh, remembrance of your own salvation? Psalm 78 says, we will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. Lastly, we remember by worshiping. We'll invite Josh and the team to come up and, and we're, we're going to respond in worship. But lastly, um, I want to talk about Worship. At the heart of our story is the desire that God has for his covenant people to remember him by worshiping him and him alone. From the very beginning, Moses went to Pharaoh with one request, let my people go so that they can worship me. Well, they can worship God. Your freedom was never about you. It was and it is and it will always be about the worship of the creator of heaven and earth. This thing called worship is the most important thing that you and I do. Worship is described as the natural outpouring of our love and honor for the one who has called us and saved us from slavery, from sin, and from death. At no point in the story of the Exodus did God say, All right, guys, I want you to be free so that you can live for yourselves. He said, I want you to live for me. I want you to worship me. I want you to lift my name on high. I want you to remember what I have done. And that's the reason why you and I are here. In this room sits people who are redeemed to declare the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into light. He showed us mercy. And the only appropriate response for our salvation is complete and utter dependence on Him as we fall before Him and worship Him. Worship isn't just singing songs on a Sunday, but rather all of our lives are meant for worship, for His glory. How you live your life matters because it's worship. How you care for your family matters because that's worship. How you care for others matters because that's worship. How you leave your sin behind is worship. How you face persecution and suffering is worship. As you remember, it matters because it's your worship. God institutes a, a feast and a festival because he doesn't want people to forget what he's done and fall back in the slavery of their souls Worshiping is keeping the things of God, the character of God, and the person of God in the forefront of our hearts and our minds. And so as we end our time together, I want to just read to you Ephesians 2, verse 12. It says this, Remember that you are separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Amen. Let's pray and then respond in worship this morning. Lord, this morning we gather together to declare your name in this place, to worship you, to sing of your praise, to come back to this reality of what you've done on the cross for us. And Lord, we are thankful. And so I pray this morning that as as our lives are filled with sin, that we would this morning leave them at the cross. That as we have the weight of, of slavery and bondage and oppression on us, God, that we would remember that you give us rest. You tell us to celebrate because you want us to remember. And Lord, I I admit that I am so forgetful. And I don't remember. And so Lord, thanks for, for your word and how it convicts and changes hearts, even mine. Lord, may we be marked by you. And we're so thankful for your salvation. We're so thankful for your grace and your mercy. And would our hearts just respond and sing out in praise of our salvation given to us through Jesus on the cross. We pray this in your name. Amen.